everybody. Welcome to part two in our series for Wednesday nights, uh, the questions Jesus asked. And I, I think this is really going to be a great series because, you know, we have a lot of questions for God. Um, have you ever asked God, where were you? Or why did you let that happen? Or why this God? Or why that? Have you ever just looked up with a question for God and, and uh, something that was just bothering you, you needed him to answer you? And I think if we're all honest, we would have to say, sure, I've had questions for God. Uh, we all do. And um, so, but what about when God looks at us and asks us a question? You know, I was looking through the Gospels and I realized that Jesus asked many questions of people. And I thought how instructive they were, how informative they were. And we all know, of course, that Jesus never asked a question because he needed an answer from us. But when Jesus asked a question, it was always with the intent of teaching us something or bringing us closer to him, drawing us nearer to him, uh, cause so that we would, you know, really consider something deeply and uh, come to some of our own conclusions based on his question. So I wanted to take a few Wednesday nights and look at some of the questions that Jesus asked of us. And I tried to pick the ones that I think were universal. That is, whatever he asked a certain individual, um, he could easily have asked the same question of me, and it's something that I need to be able to answer. So I want to look at uh, some more questions tonight. I think we're going to cover three. And uh, so I want you to grab your Bibles and um, follow along with me, because I'm, I'm going to show you the context where he did ask the question, and um, then I'm going to give you the answer. And uh, so, amen, let's get started. So let me deal with one that I'm very certain all of us uh, could, uh, it, it would do us well to, to try to answer it for ourselves. Because we've all done what the disciples did. And it caused Jesus to ask the question, why are you so afraid? So that's the first question I want to deal with tonight. Maybe you're dealing with fear right now. Uh, you've been struggling with worry, with doubt, with, with fear. You know, John said, fear has torment. And he that is full of fear has not been perfected in love. So uh, many times in the Bible, we see Jesus marveling uh, about somebody's lack of faith or their fear factor. And so I want to deal with the question, why are you so afraid? And I want to go to one example where Jesus asked the question, very familiar story that you're probably familiar with if you've been saved long at all. And it's Matthew chapter 4, verse 35 and 40 through 41. And it's about when the disciples were out in the sea and the storm rose up. So let's read about it. It says in Matthew 4, 35, on the same day when evening had come, he said, to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took along or took him along in the boat as he was. So they got into a boat, took Jesus with them and other little boats were also with him. And then verse 37 says a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling with water. Uh, you know, that's, that's scary. So verse 38 says, and but he was in the stern and Jesus was asleep on a pillow and they awoke him and said to him, 
Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? Then Jesus arose, stood up, rebuked the wind, said to the sea, Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, and here comes the question, Why are you so afraid? How is it you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly. Well, they went from one fear to another. They they were afraid of the storm. Now they're afraid that they're standing in the presence of a Savior who literally spoke to the winds and the waves, commanded them to stop their blowing and rolling, and they stopped. And they looked at one another and they said, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? So they were they were just dealing with all kinds of fear, fear of the storm, then fear of the Savior that stilled the storm. Now, Jesus asked his followers why they were so afraid their boat was going to overturn on account of some wind and waves, especially since he was right there in the boat with them. Now, for me, it was a very natural thing to be afraid. Of course, they were afraid. Uh, they didn't understand, not yet, who it was really fully that was in the boat with them. And I think this is true of our Christian life. You know, Jesus reveals himself to us in stages. We, we get saved and we, we learn him first and foremost as savior. Jesus saved my soul. I came to Christ last night or whatever, and he's my savior. But as we continue to grow in him, we learn different things about him. Well, he's not only my savior, he's my provider. And then we learn, well, he's not only my provider, but he's my peace. And he's not just my peace, but he's my shepherd. And he's not just my shepherd, but he's my counselor. And the more we go on with him, the more who Jesus really is, is unfolded and revealed to us, revelation by revelation, step by step, day by day. So it may seem a little bit out of place that they ask, um, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? But they didn't yet understand that the one in the boat with them, that they had brought with them, who had told them to get into the boat and go across to the other side, they would not have been in the boat and they would not have been exposed to the storm had it not been for Jesus telling them, let's cross to the other side. And of course, we know Jesus knew the storm was coming and he knew that the middle of the sea and the experience with the storm was going to be how to trust God 101. Who we're following 101. Because they were to learn on this fateful journey that Jesus was not just the one that multiplied the fishes and the loaves, but this was very God they were following who could speak to the wind that he created, the waves that he had created, and nature itself obeyed him. Now, when Jesus said, why are you so afraid? He proceeded to answer his own question because he puts his finger right on the problem in his very next statement. How is it that you have no faith? So he asked them a question, then he answered their own question with another question. Or he answered his question with another question and it nailed what their problem was. How is it you don't have any faith? Where's your faith? Why don't you have more faith? Um, bingo. They were fearful because they had no faith. You know, faith banishes fear. 
We've all been afraid. I've dealt with fear a million times in my life. But I found that the more I built my faith, the more I spent time in the word of God, the more I spent time in prayer, the more I learned who Jesus really was and is in my life, the less I was afraid and the more I was full of faith. And so we see that as as they learn more about him, the more they learned, the more fear was banished and faith in their lives grew. In the midst of the storm, the eyes of the disciples had been on the tossing of the waves, the boat filling with water, the ferocity of the storm. But their eyes were certainly not on Jesus. When their faith evaporated, fear rushed in. And that's the way it always is. When our faith evaporates, and it evaporates when we look at the circumstances instead of at the Savior, when we focus on the problem instead of the problem solver, when we focus on the storm instead of the Savior, that is when fear rushes in. But the convert, convert, it's true conversely that when we focus on the Savior, faith grows and fear vanishes. We see the same principle at work with Peter. Remember the story of Peter? When Peter was, uh, when the disciples were in the boat, Jesus came walking to them on the water, walking literally on top of the water. Simon Peter being Simon Peter said, Lord, if it's you, call me to come out to you and let me walk on the water. And Jesus said, come. Well, Peter stepped out of that boat. And when his sandaled foot hit that water, the water held him up, but really not the water. His faith in God held him up. Faith in Jesus held him up. And we know that when he stepped out of the boat, his eyes were focused on Jesus. But we are told, so Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw, now that's where the problem came in. When he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified. And that's when he began to sink. Save me, Lord. He shouted. Now notice. When his focus changed, he began to sink. As long as he was focused on Jesus, he was a miracle walker. He was walking on a miracle. He was, he was literally walking on water next to Jesus. The only man in the history of, of the world that's ever walked on water like this was Simon Peter. And as long as he had his focus on Jesus, the miracle continued. But the minute he changed his focus from Jesus to the problem, he began to sink. And fear took over. So when his focus changed, fear rushed in. So it's the same thing. The message behind Jesus' question for all of us um, is with every situation we encounter, storms, troubles, problems, perplexities, doubts, tough times, uncertain times, he has promised to never leave us or desert us. And that's what Hebrews 13, 5 promises. That's the lesson. That's the message behind Jesus' question. That's what he was wanting to teach the disciples and Peter, and by default, you and me. Uh, Why are you so afraid? If we're ever afraid, it's because we're losing sight of the greatness of the God we serve. Because he has promised, I'll never leave you I'll never forsake you. And so if we remember that 
and meditate daily in his word and walk full of the Holy Spirit, faith will overcome a spirit of fear, especially in times like these. COVID, covering the world, jobs uncertain, um, uh, you know, the concern about whether or not you might get COVID, all the uncertainties and all the fears and all the worries that are gripping our culture. I think Jesus might be saying to some of us, some of us, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Um, did I not promise to take care of you? Did I not promise to provide for you? So I want my answer to be, and I know you want your answer to be, forgive me, Lord, for fearing that anything is stronger than you or outside of your control. So great question, and that's a great answer to it. So question number one, why are you so afraid? Now I want to deal with a second question from Jesus. And that is a great one. This is a great one. I've thought about this one a lot. Jesus asked the disciples, do you still not see or understand? Now, Jesus asked this question in Mark 8, 17, I believe out of frustration and a little bit of exasperation with the disciples. We can almost hear a, a, a hint of disappointment in his voice when he asked them, don't you still see? Do you still not get it? Do you still not understand uh, me, who I am, uh, who you're walking with, what I'm able to do? Let me read to you where this question was asked. In Mark's account, the Lord has just warned the 12 disciples to watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. He said, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. That was literally a statement he made. Now, he meant that they should be wary of the false teaching of the Pharisees, uh, which he called leaven. Now, we know that when leaven is put into dough, it, it expands and it eventually permeates the whole loaf. And so Jesus is saying, you better watch out for the false teaching of the Pharisees, because if you receive that leaven of their false teaching into your spirit, it can eventually grow and expand where you have become corrupted throughout your whole person by that teaching of the Pharisees. And it's true for false teaching today. I can tell you, uh, beware, for instance, of the leaven of the Mormons. Be careful of the leaven of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Be careful of the leaven of many false teachers out there that are teaching many false doctrines, weird and strange things. Be, be wary of, 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 of the leaven of what's coming out. Um, I don't know. And in, in really in a lot of charismatic circles, there's some leaven out there. You got to be careful of. Then you move into denominational circles. There's leaven. There's false teaching where people that used to hold to the scriptures with all of their heart now are giving the scriptures up in order to gain favor with our culture. And there's leaven out there, false teaching. And he's saying, uh, Jesus is saying to them, be wary of it, because once you receive false teaching in your spirit, it has the ability to expand and permeate your whole being until your, your whole life is messed up from what you have listened to and received as teaching from a bad source. But the disciples, when they heard Jesus say this, they, they immediately thought he was talking about how they had forgotten to bring bread for the journey that they were on. But no, 
He was attempting to teach them spiritual things. So Jesus' exasperation boils down to this. No matter what they saw him do, his disciples still didn't get it. That was the exasperation. That was what was frustrating the Lord. No matter what they saw him do, all the miracles they saw him perform, they were still thinking, wow, he's, he's mad at us or bugged with us that we didn't bring bread for the journey. And Jesus is, is trying to say to them, hey, don't you know by now I'm not worried about how much bread you have because haven't you seen me provide bread for the multitudes out of a few fishes and loaves? They'd already seen him multiply fishes and loaves to uh, provide for 4,000. They'd already seen him break five loaves and two fishes and feed 5,000. They'd already seen him cast out devils, heal the sick, open blind eyes, do all kinds of miracles for people, heal the deaf and the mute. He'd already done all these things. And yet they didn't even have the faith yet that if they were in a pickle and they didn't have enough bread, Jesus would multiply the bread they had. No. So they weren't even able to hear his spiritual teaching because they were so caught up in unbelief about his ability to provide for them. So Jesus is saying, do you still not understand? Um, do you still not get it? What are you going to have to see to get it? How much more? How many? And, 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 you know, let me ask you, and I'm asking myself here. I've, I've been here myself many times. So I'm not pointing a finger at you. I'm pointing a finger at all of us. Um, what have we seen Jesus do? How many miracles as he performed for us. How many miracles of provision? How many miracles of giving us peace in the middle of a storm? How many times has he provided for us um, out of nowhere, both big and small things? How many times have we seen the Lord heal us, <clears throat> guide us, direct us, protect us? How many times has the Lord come through for us? And yet, we're so caught up in worrying about his ability to provide or to do this or that. We can't even hear him and how he's trying to teach us uh, more things spiritually speaking. And you know, there's a verse in the Old Testament where God tells Moses, and let me just quote it for you. It, it's a powerful verse. The Lord has used this to speak to my heart about, you know, am I learning like I should? Am I, is God having to teach me the same thing over and over again? Because Deuteronomy 2, verse 3, God says to Moses and tells him to tell the children of Israel, you have circled this mountain long enough. Now turn north. Um, now, isn't that a powerful verse? Have you ever heard that in your own spirit or have you ever thought it? Man, how many times am I going to have to walk around this same mountain? How many times am I going to have to learn the same lesson? And we can almost hear Jesus asking us the question, uh, how do you not yet understand? Uh, you know, because here's God essentially saying to the people, you've been walking in circles. And how long are, are you going to have to learn the same lessons? And, and uh, aren't you ready to move on? Because I really want you to move forward, get down the road, quit walking in these circles. And sometimes to stop work, walking in the circles in monotony, 
requires us learning and getting it, getting what the Lord is trying to teach us. And so it's time to move forward. I wonder how many Christians that should be moving forward in, in God's will are stuck in the rut of just going in circles from not learning what God has been trying to teach us. Simple things like get in the word daily, uh, develop a consistent prayer life, um, trusting God to come through for you in a time of need without being all tied up in knots uh, of fear and worry. Uh, you know, when are you going to get it? I can hear Jesus. Why do you not yet understand? So it's a great question. And here's my response to the question. And I'm sure it's your response as well. Open my eyes, Lord, to see you for who you really are and to never again doubt your presence, your power, or your provision. I do understand, Lord. I do get it. I do know who I'm walking with. And I know, I know you're never going to fail me and you're never going to forsake me. So, amen. What a great question. Do you not yet understand? And what a great way to respond. Amen. All right. Let's just deal with one more. And I think this is such a pertinent question for our day. Jesus asked this question of a man that came to him with a question. He said, what does scripture say? Now, let me give you the context. We read in Luke 10, 23, 28, that an expert in the law one day stood up to test Jesus and asked him what he must do to inherit eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life, Lord? Well, Jesus looked at him and instead of answering his question, he asked him a question. So he answered his question with a question and Jesus asked him this one. What is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, let's remember, all there was back then was the law. When Jesus asked this question, that's all they had was the Old Testament. The New Testament had been written. Not one word of the New Testament had been written. So Jesus is pointing him to the Old Testament. And he's saying, what's written in the law? Tell me what's in the word. Uh, you answer your own question. What is in the law? Now, I want you to note that the man said, um, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he, and he quoted the greatest commandment. Jesus said, do this and you will live. So the man found the answer to his question by going to the scriptures he already knew. Now we note that Jesus' question to this expert in the law was not, uh, what do you think? Or what do you feel about this? What is your heart telling you? He didn't ask anything like that. No, for answers to the hardball questions of life, Jesus always pointed people to the word of God. Folks, I can't tell you how important this is. Please hear me on this. You know, um, if I reach the end of my days and or when I reach the end of my days and I go before the Lord and I give an answer for how I pastored my church and, and, and the Lord judges my work and it comes out that I did not lead you, teach you, encourage you and exhort you to learn the word of God and to always get your answers from the word of God. 
If I had not taught you to be a people of the word, listen carefully to me, I failed. I failed. I failed you and I failed God. Because one of the most important things I can teach you, there's a few absolute essentials that every pastor must teach the people. Uh, to pray, that's a big one. Um, to be saved only through Jesus Christ, that he's the only way, truth, and the life. There's no other way but him. He's the unique, one and only, begotten son of God. But one of the key essentials every pastor should teach the people is to go to the word of God, know the word of God, live in the word of God, walk the word of God, talk the word of God, understand the word of God, saturate your mind in the word of God, be a people of the word, know the scriptures better than you know any other book in the world. Know your Bible. Jesus felt that way because he was always pointing people to the word of God. He said, you search the scriptures, thinking that in them you have you will find eternal life. But they speak of me. He taught us of the scriptures, uh, the sum total of the, the message of the scriptures was to teach about him. He was always pointing us back to the word of God. When he was walking with the two men on the road to Emmaus, what did he do? It says he opened up the scriptures to them and beginning with the law and the prophets and Moses and all of that, he opened their understanding to the scriptures. He pointed them to the scriptures and explained to them how the Christ must have suffered, must suffer and die the way Jesus did and then rise from the dead. And that all of that was found in the scriptures. So to clear out their confusion and to banish their fear, Jesus took those two disciples on the road to Emmaus straight to the word of God. And that's the way Jesus always did. Jesus said, thy word is truth. So we must be a people of the word. And if there was ever a time, I think, for pastors to particularly be sharing this with their congregations, it's now that scripture in this day of rampant deception, and I mean rampant, you know, Jesus warned when the disciples asked him, what will be the sign of your coming? The first thing out of his mouth was, beware lest any man deceive you. And four times in Matthew 24, Jesus warned against deception, false Christ, false prophets, false teachers. And so here, uh, Jesus again, when he says to this man who asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, what do the scriptures say? What do they say? You know, the Bible is referred to as the living word of God. The word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than two edged, any two-edged sword. Uh, Hebrews 4, verse 12. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. Um, all scripture is God-breathed. All of it. All scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, all of it is all God-breathed. It's breathed out of God. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you want to do a good work for the Lord? Spend time in the scriptures because it'll equip you to do that good work. See, I believe before you go do any good work for the Lord, 
You need to be equipped to do it. And we are equipped by studying, spending time in, meditating in the Word of God. So let me ask you a question, and I'm asking myself this as well. I've asked myself this many times through the years. When you're in a predicament and you have to choose between offending someone else or offending God, or when you simply don't know what to do or which way to turn, you've got a big question and you're confused. What what do I do, Lord? Where, Where do I go? Which way do I take? Instead of asking what would Jesus do and just taking a guess, how about this? What do the scriptures say? Because they are, they are the unerring, inerrant, perfect guide for life. Let me close with an illustration. Picture with me a huge cruise ship out there on the ocean. It is beautiful. It's gigantic. It's shiny. It's impressive. It's powerful. It's big enough to house a couple of thousand people. And yet you look at that cruise ship and we've got to realize that it depends on two things to keep it stable and to get it to the right destination. Two things you cannot see. You can't see the rudder underneath the water that moves this way or that so that it goes this direction or that, turns left or right or goes straight. A little rudder under the water that you can't see directs that huge ship and the anchor. The anchor keeps it stable. The rudder sends it in the right direction. Without those two things you cannot see, that ship could be lost at sea and everybody on it destroyed. We think of the Titanic. Great example. Uh, It was called unsinkable. It was the greatest ship ever created in that day. And yet we know that when messages of warning were sent to the operator, he ignored them because he was busy transmitting messages for uh, passengers and crew to people on shore. And he was not listening to the operator's warnings. He was not listening to warnings from other ships saying there were icebergs ahead. He ignored it. He ignored it. He ignored the warnings. And they hit the icebergs, and you know the rest of the story. So my point is this. The Word of God is our anchor. It keeps us stable, stable in a storm, stable against the winds and the waves that want to take us elsewhere. It it locks us down like it holds a ship in place. And the Word of God is our rudder. It, it, it assures us that we're going to go the right direction. The word The Word will tell us, go left, go right, go straight, or don't go at all. The word of God will tell us that. And that's why we need to hear Jesus. What do the scriptures say? Whatever you're facing in life today, what do the scriptures say? Are you wondering about marrying somebody? Are you wondering about moving? Are you wondering about a a job? Uh, What are you wondering about? What are you praying about? Well, listen, I believe you ought to pray and you ought to believe God for his instruction, but The primary mode of direction, if you want to know the will of God for something, the number one guide is the word of God. So we say in answer to Jesus' question, well, Lord, here's the way I want to be. 
The scriptures tell me this. The scriptures tell me that. And no matter what I feel or no matter what other people might be telling me, if the scriptures tell me something different, let God be true and every man a liar. So what do the scriptures say? Need to be our watch word for life. It needs to be the number one question we ask in any situation. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, the three questions we dealt with tonight. We're going to deal with a few more next time. And uh, I leave my blessing with you. Thank you for watching. And we're, uh, believe me, we're praying about when to start Wednesday nights live again. But until then, it's great to be able to come your way uh, by online only. And uh, be sure to join us this Sunday as we meet for church. And I'm excited to be with you at 9 or 11 for a great time in church. Please pray, uh, pray about coming back. I believe that, it, you know, wear a mask if you want to. Uh, practice social distancing if you want to. But I believe unless you have um, some pre-existing conditions, I, I believe you might want to pray about coming back. We'd love to have you back. All right. God bless you. Have a blessed week.